Windsor, Windsor. Ascot, Ascot. Maidenhead, Bracknell, Wokingham, Henley. Good morning and welcome to River Radio's School of Parenting with myself, Rachel Tyrrell, and my guest today is Kate King. Good morning, Kate. Good morning, Rachel. Lovely to be here. It's lovely to have you here. Um, So I'm going to be chatting to um, Kate today, who is an educational consultant. So we'll be finding out all about that and also a little bit later on we'll be chatting about the announcement that's going to be made this afternoon by Gavin Williamson um, titled COVID-19 update easing restrictions in education settings so something I think we're all probably looking forward to Um, so first of all Kate, it's lovely to have you here on School of Parenting. Um, You are an educational consultant. Can you tell us what do you do? Well, (laughs) Well, we're going to be talking a lot about what you do, but in a nutshell, what do you do? Well, it's very much what it says on the tin. I consult, I give advice and guidance on things to do with education. Oh, brilliant. Okay. All right. And how did you get into this line of work? Well, I had a career change um, just over 20 years ago uh, where I trained to be a Montessori teacher and that underpins my whole practice, my whole thinking because of their holistic approach. And that Montessori did her training with using children with, um, observing children with learning difficulties. So that opened my eyes to learning difficulties. And 20 years ago, we only had dyslexia. Okay. So I then went on and trained as a dyslexia specialist Mm. and there was lots of stuff going on about our early understanding of autism, retained reflexes, uh, the sensory system. And as soon as I started teaching children, I realised that my dyslexia training didn't cover the things that I was seeing, the difficulties that I was being presented with. Okay, so it's interesting you say that... um so you said that back w- back then there was just we just knew about dyslexia, and that was actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you because it's really, I mean I be I've been in education for about fifteen years, um, but these different um, difficulties is that the the right term or or um, learning difficulties? It really has been in what the past this past decade or a bit longer that we've learnt a lot more. I think I think it's longer than that. Um, the thing that the first thing that was highlighted to me was dyspraxia, so which in the rest of the world is called developmental coordination disorder, mm. but over here we don't like the word disorder, so we call it dyspraxia. Oh, okay, um, and. Um, so I went and found out about dyspraxia. 50% of people who've got dyspraxia have got ADHD. Well, nobody wanted ADHD as a label. They didn't understand it. It was mm. perceived as a nasty American thing. and You just want to drug our children. Okay. So I had to go and find out about that. And so, um, yeah, you're right. The, our knowledge has changed hugely over the last 20 years. And so... Prior to that, say 20 years, would I be right in saying that possibly, because obviously those things have been around for a lot longer, but what we just didn't understand what they were, is that so possibly, you know, you hear, I I mean, I talk to a lot of people and you hear stories about um, they were the naughty child. 
is, yes. is, is, is <laughs> you know and and possibly that naughty child or the naughty boy or whatever the naughty girl has uh, possibly 30 years ago 40 years ago had ADHD but we didn't know it was called that we just thought they were naughty Possibly, but maybe we had a, an education system that was more child-centred and less rigid, less results-orientated. I don't, I don't know. Oh. I know that we know a lot more now, but in some ways it seems that we almost try to push children through a sausage machine that isn't mm. the right shape mm. or size for those children. Mm. Oh, now that's a very interesting perspective then. So I'm, I'm thinking that that perspective is your Montessori background because whereas because I've been in I'm not a Montessori background whereas I think all education has come you know it's actually more child-centered than it was you know decades ago where pastoral care and things like that you know didn't really exist did they well in those in those respects yes it is far more um but it's this you know the pressure of exams and constant testing Mm. you know um with with sats and Mm. just constantly testing um, the performance stuff, which is a huge pressure for the teachers. Mm, mm. My Montessori background is about observation. That's a key thing, is the holistic approach and actually observing what is going on. Okay. So um, that was one of the things, when I, when I was reading about what it was that you do, you said that observation is very key um, and that some of the things that parents or teachers I suppose might might notice are things like poor concentration anxiety difficulty with reading written work that doesn't match verbal skills fear of maths poor handwriting the balance and coordination you've mentioned or disorganization so are some of those observations if if they um, if they're on their own, those observations, like, it, you know, isolated, could that just be that that child is maybe, you know, just doesn't particularly like maths or is a little bit disorganised? Or is it all of those things when they're grouped in together that then there's alarm bells? It's not all of those things together, but any of those those things that are observed could be an indication that somebody is struggling. So if you think about the child who, um, in, I don't know, year one or year two, um, as soon as they're asked to do writing, they sharpen everybody's pencils. Mm. Yeah, Why are they doing that? Mm. They're doing it to avoid doing something that they find difficult. We all avoid the things we find difficult. So if you think about, I always think about observation as being the tip of the iceberg. It's the behaviour we see mm. that's then based on a feeling that's based on a need. So on a very simple level, my behaviour is I'm grumpy, right? I mm. feel hungry, I need food. Mm. So you can strip it back. Any behaviour that we're seeing with a child, you can strip it back. What we too often don't do is pause and go, why is that behaviour occurring? Mm. So a difficulty paying attention can have a myriad of reasons. It could be ADHD, but it could have a whole load of other reasons behind why that child is finding it difficult to pay attention in class. Okay. And are there then things like that that you might observe which are simply down to the child's age or their stage of development. So let me, what I'm kind of thinking here, what pops into my head is, um, and not to generalise, but sometimes, say, with younger boys, they, their writing develops a little bit later. They're not that interested in picking up a pencil and doing the writing. We're possibly, and, and again, apologies for, <laughs> for the gender bias here, but I'm even talking about with my own. I've got, a, I've got a son and a daughter. But as a teacher as well, sometimes it would be 
the girls might be sitting there with doing a bit of writing or making their little books or whatever, whereas the boys might be doing const- constructing things. And, 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 you know, sometimes parents will be worried and say, oh, they, they don't want to write, they don't want to pick up a pencil. And I remind them, well, they're only year one, they're still year <laughs> five, they're still age five, and actually... That's kind of too young to worry about that. It, so it's it, lots of that. I mean, lots of that is simply age, isn't it? Or this yeah. stage. It's always very important to look at things in line with child development. Mm. And my Montessori training, you know, incorporated knowledge of child development. Mm. And um, but it's also important to recognise that um, if you've got a child who has a difficulty, for example, such as dyspraxia or ADHD, mm. there's a lot of skills that are delayed by a couple of years so those are things that we call about the executive functioning skills i i won't go into that but <laughs> um but but often it, they won't actually be able to do the things that we might expect of them at age 13 because their skills are only at age 11 um, okay. so it's about looking at the whole picture and that's where the montessori thing comes in because it's holistic mm. uh, and and it's like we don't just key in of oh you don't like writing so therefore you must blah blah mm. blah um, it's about actually putting together a jigsaw mm. um, is is how somebody described what I do yeah. um, in order to, to allow the picture that is that child, that is that child's unique profile to emerge. And actually, y- you, you've spoken about, you mentioned about the, the pressure and the testing and, and that the, there's definitely a lot more that um, on that within schools but also I think from parents as well they expect a, a lot from their children and because testing does start early you know we, we, we do assess you know you do assessments in year one classroom you do assessments you don't make a big thing about them but you're still they're still sitting down doing assessments and children are pretty smart they know what they are they know this is a bit different from your normal work so it's I'm guessing it's not particularly helpful then that whole testing and pressure starting so early because then it's almost you know we're kind of saying to parents or look at these things but then some of those things just might not have developed yet it's it's you know it might not be relevant to be looking at those things so early I think it's very much a case about not looking at the tests in isolation Mm. it's about looking at the whole thing because we know from ourselves as adults that as soon as we feel anxious we don't function as well as we do when we're not anxious Mm. and that's how that's that's to do with how the brain works you know if if we're anxious our prefrontal cortex that's our thinking brain that's like our command center our air traffic control system Mm. that disconnects Mm. yeah so we find it so much harder to function in in a logical way in a measured way to do things in a certain order so if you've got a child who is finding something a little bit difficult, maybe they're aware that their their peers can read better than they can mm. or can write better or whatever it is, uh, so they feel anxious in a test situation, they're going to underperform because they feel anxious. Mm. And mm. and this is, you know, I think it's important to consider. It doesn't mean to say they've got a difficulty, mm. but maybe they need a little bit of support. They need it noticing what they um what they're struggling with and is this uh, am i right in saying so a question for you and i don't know if it, it's because i haven't been in a school for a couple of years now i just do uh, one-to-one tutoring with children who struggle with maths and english um but the um that children in the school system they then 
they they can't say go for a assessment or a diagnosis or none of that sort of normally officially happens until age seven. Um, it's What's there's lots of different diagnoses that you can do at different ages. Mm. So I think you're sort of thinking about the classic thing about I think my child might be dyslexic, um, and I would never I would never counsel a dis- going for a dyslexia diagnosis below the age of seven yeah and even at the age of seven it's still fairly unstable yeah but I personally with my experience as a specialist teacher I would want to see that there had been targeted intervention that had happened first and the child had not responded to it Mm. because for example you if a child had difficulties with glue ear yeah yeah they may have been in the classroom unable to hear when Mm. specific bits of the phonic code were being taught Mm. So it's not that they can't do the phonic code, it's just they miss that bit. Mm. So when you, do you, you mentioned then targeted <clears throat> intervention, so if year seven, um, sorry, age seven, they're in year two. So if there was going to be some targeted intervention, you would assume that would then be happening in year two, possibly then year one. I mentioned last week when I was chatting that you were coming on um, as a teacher and then obviously, you know, also as being a parent it's really then tricky to know because if they're going to have that targeted intervention before an assessment to know then do they need that targeted intervention or are they just not at that stage that's a yeah no, that's a, that, how do you know yeah no it's a really good question and I I do I do have lots of phone calls with parents um, because I always do a free discovery call who oh, are worried brilliant. and and it's just often parents just need a little bit of guidance and a little bit of reassurance and on their way and you know if this doesn't work then come back to me and we'll explore it because the thing is if a child is struggling it's very easy to jump straight to the educational psychologist mm. because he, they they have the word education in the title mm. Educational psychologists are amazing. Um, it's a very rigorous training, and um, but they what they do is very specific, and it's important to look at the reasons, the the other reasons why a child might be struggling before we jump straight to the ed psych. So it could be that the eyes aren't functioning properly, mm. so that's why you can't read properly. Mm. It could be that you need movement because you're so it's not that you've got ADHD; it's just that your body isn't stable. Yeah or you've got hypermobile joints. There's so many things that need mm. unpicking. Um, and it's about who, which clinician to see at which stage, because they exist in silos. Okay. Yeah. They diagnose different yeah. things. Mm. You can't just go to a one-stop shop. And that's, what I, that's why I set up Skylark, to, because every time a parent had sat in my office and said, I'm worried about my child, mm. there was a reason. Every time a teacher said, I think so-and-so's lazy, but I know that's a four-letter word in your vocabulary, Kate. Yeah. There was, <laughs> there was always a reason. Oh, that is, yeah. And I, I realised that I had enough knowledge across all of the things that impact on learning, including mental health, um, to be able to unpick what was going on and then guide and advise. So, so you could then chat to a parent or chat to a child... And then what point the parent in the right direction then to say, yeah. well, it could be that assessment you need or that support you need or, or, or you might just say they're six <laughs> and they <laughs> want to do this rather than sit down and do some writing. There my is, son yeah. pops into my head and, and he's August, a summer born 
birthday. So, you know, for him, it came a lot later on, his writing. He was not interested in writing at all in year one. No, I have have a child exactly the same. Um, (laughs) But, uh, no, one of the things I do is I use use an online profiling tool. So if it's appropriate, I'll do do what I call a learner profile, which gathers information from school the parents and the child and it's a it's a research-based tool it uses very clever algorithms so that if there's a concern in a particular area it'll dig a bit deeper oh okay Um, and that gives me my quantitative data Mm -hmm. so I've got all of that stuff and it's to say it's the voice of the school it's the voice of the parent it's the voice of the child and I then use that to do an interview over zoom so I can work anywhere in the country anywhere in the world and I can then ask questions dig a bit deeper and then I use that to, to do my formulation. Okay. So sometimes that's a really good way of going, we know something's not quite right, we don't know what it is, we don't know who to turn to. Okay, all right. Well, that sounds really interesting. We're going to take a quick break and have a song, but when we come back, I, I think it would be good to chat a little bit more then about... so. That's what you can offer to parents. But if we can then talk a little bit more about um, how do you then know as a parent when you should be going down that path? And because I know from the perspective of a teacher, it's, you, you know, it's a little bit like walking on eggshells because you might see some flags come up. You don't know if it is simply just their that they just haven't got to that stage of their development yet or it could be because you know not all not all class teachers are specialist SEN um, teachers as, as well they would have done a little bit of study in their education degree but they might not now most schools do have an SEN you know coordinator um, so they can go there but it's so let's talk about some of those questions when we come back so things like I've got concerns about my child but the school says my child's doing fine or the school says there's something, I'm not noticing anything. You know, I think that the child needs support, but I don't know what to do because they're too young for, you know, an assessment through the school system. So just some of those questions. Let's do that when we get back. Thank you so much, Kate. Let's have a listen to Electric Katy Perry. In the dark when you feel lost, want to be the best, but at what cost? If you're going to stay here. Nothing's ever changing, no big world, gotta see it all, gotta get up even when you fall, there's no point in waiting.
Welcome back to School of Parenting with myself, Rachel Tyrrell, and we have got Kate King here from Skylark Educational Consultancy. I said that right, that didn't sound right. Can you correct me? Um, It's Skylark Specialist Educational Consulting. (laughs) There we go. I couldn't even remember those four words, five words even together. Okay, so before we had our song break there, we were talking about... um, you know, the age, obviously, stages of development, and then possibly that there might be some, some difficulties that your, that your child has. So, um, and that as a parent, you're not sure, you know, it, it might simply be that, that, you know, could it be that you're putting a lot of pressure on your child, that you, your expectations are really high, perhaps when they're in that year one, when they've start, just started their reading or writing, or, you know, are there actual difficulties so let's talk a bit about some of those difficulties. So, so I'm thinking about the ones that that will you'll know by possibly in reception year, but def, but year one you're going to know if your children is having a child's having a bit of difficulty with reading, um, poor handwriting because there's a lot more handwriting. It's quite a big transition, a step from reception into year one. Um, where a little bit more is expected, you know, with, with writing stamina or, you know, difficulty with maths, perhaps grasping some of those real foundational concepts in maths. So tell us a bit more about those. Well, there's so many things that can impact. And um, as I said before, observation is absolutely key. I remember um, working in reception and there was a little boy who the teacher was very concerned about him and she was concerned that he wasn't performing as he should do and he was avoiding doing things and that day when I went in he was avoiding doing his maths exercise Mm. and it wasn't because he didn't know his numbers or that he couldn't order them it's just that he actually couldn't use the pair of scissors to cut the digits out to stick them on the number line Mm. His difficulty wasn't with the maths. Mm. He wasn't being naughty. He didn't. He couldn't. He had a motor function difficulty, a mm. hand-eye coordination difficulty, that meant he couldn't actually access the thing he was being asked to do. Oh. So, um, for that particular child, he needed some intervention from an occupational therapist mm. so that he could develop his fine motor skills, his hand-eye coordination, so that he he could show what he knows. Um, so there's lots of things that can impact on learning. Um, you know, writing is an incredibly complex skill. We've got to hold the pen. We've got to hold the pen in such a way that we can manipulate the fingers. We've got to have our bodies stable. If our body isn't stable, if we're constantly unstable, how on earth is our, are our fingers going to, um, going to be able to form those letters? We've got to be able to see them properly. We've got to be able to place them on the line. There's a huge amount of things to remember. So it's about unpicking where something is going wrong. And it's very easy as a parent to, to go, well, why can't you do that? Mm. You know, you should be able to do it by this, this age. You know, your brother could do it now. Why mm. can't you? That sort of thing. But actually, um, we all develop differently. Um, mm. We all develop in our own, in our own way. Um, and it's, you know, well, what is it you're having difficulty with? So an acceptance that you're finding this tricky. Okay, so what do you need to help? And it's about... It's about understanding that there's little building blocks. So with writing, it's the phonic, it's the letter formation, it's the mm. phonic code, it's those tricky sight words. With maths, if we don't actually understand what five is, mm. yeah, that how can we say that five is bigger than four? Mm. Yeah, um, it's about being able to build those skills and 
in a very logical way. So number bonds to 10, the understanding of, um, of the concept of addition, the concept of subtraction. Mm. Um, so look, th- those things um, would begin then in before reception then that there'd, there'd possibly be some um I, I suppose when you talk about the building up the building blocks they would have done some cutting perhaps in preschool cutting and gluing um with their number manipulating objects that kind of thing so then um so then possibly then in reception year as a teacher then you might what you'd pick up on those things or as a parent would you pick up that your child's struggling with I mean I know you know you I remember when I was a parent you know when my children were younger and you know when you're a parent you want to do all the everything that you're meant to be doing but you also don't want a hot house you know you, you would hit I mean I'm sure there are lots of children who can read before they get to they, they get to preschool or reception or whatever but you know I would hear that well actually it's you sit down and do jigsaw puzzles or that kind of thing to build up those other skills. Is that what you're, you're meaning when you're talking about this hierarchy of steps, if you like? Uh, yes. So if, you, if a child is avoiding doing jigsaw puzzles, why? Yeah. Okay. Do they have a difficulty with... Do they find it difficult to, to see the difference in the pieces, to see the difference in the shapes, to be able to go, oh, yes, well, if I turn that through 90 degrees, it fits. Mm. But, I mean, I think... You know, it's very important to remember that these skills are built up through preschool, early learning, Mm. uh, reception, year one, year two. Mm. And I often get parents coming to me with a child who's coming towards the end of year two and they're worried that they don't have the skills that they need Mm. for the demands of year three. Um, Yes, that's that's often the case. But sometimes it's just that those children have, you know, they just started a bit later yeah you know and think about how late we start education in in europe yes, and certainly in scandinavia yeah. yeah so i i wouldn't start raising concerns until we get to sort of year year three maybe year four um and then there's also lots of difficulties that don't actually appear until the curriculum gets harder so if so if you said we don't worry about those too much until those years but the curriculum in a school system um you know fortunately or unfortunately there's quite a step up when children move from year two into year three they're expected to do you know at least one a four size page of writing if not two if they're doing an essay or something or a piece of writing so is there a point then where it's then possibly left too late where it's better to look at something earlier it's i don't think it's ever too late unless it's impacting on the child's self-esteem. So it's a, the point at okay. which the child is... So it's, again, going back to the observation. You mm. know, is the child uh, getting distressed or avoiding or getting angry, um, being reluctant to do something? They're being mm. reluctant to do it because they find it difficult, you know? Mm. Um, or, you know, parents... Um, as parents, it's often very hard to know how to help your child. Mm. And we want to do so much for our children. Mm. And, and sometimes it's just a case of getting some guidance about how to help them with their reading. So if you take the skill of reading, it's really complicated when it's emerging. Mm. You've got to decode those words using that incredible phonic code. Mm. yeah. And then you've got to recognise those sight words that don't make any sense at all. Mm. That's just what it says. And, and then you've got to hold in your head the sentence that you've been reading. Mm. So you start reading a sentence and you come across a word that you don't, that you don't know. So you break it down. You use your phonic skills to break down fantastic, for example. While you've been doing that, 
could be that actually you've forgotten mm. the first part of the sentence. But you know what? You're six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. You don't want to go back and read it again. Mm. So you just keep reading. Mm. But it doesn't make sense. Mm. So if a child is struggling, it's often easier or better for the child in order to maintain the comprehension to give them the word so that they've got the mm. food. So, you know, if they hesitate, just give them the word because that way they can they can actually get enjoyment out of the process of reading to mm. you as an adult. If we don't enjoy something, we're going we're gonna to avoid it. And the reality is that with something like that, you know, like reading, and I know that having been a classroom teacher... Um, you know, you can be the most amazing teacher. Not that I'm saying I was the most amazing teacher, but I'm just saying you could be the most amazing teacher and you can be as positive as you want. But at the end of the day, children are very perceptive. You know, when they, they've got their reading books, they know, I would say even before year one, so even in reception, they know what each colour means. They know what order those colours of books go up. And, and, you know, I mean, while we're talking about it, let's mention the parents. <laughs> yes, little Johnny is now on Lime reading book. You know, I mean, as, as parents, they like to talk about these things, don't they? Um, so it's really difficult, isn't it? You know, as, as careful as you might be as a teacher, um, children are very perceptive. They, they know at a very early age. Now, I don't know if this is because it's a, it's a bit more of a pressured system and it's a bit more focused on assessments. And so as, as careful as you can be in a classroom environment, you stick a load of children's work up on the wall you know, in the lovely display. Well, when parents used to come into the classroom, <laughs> I tell you what, I bet there's a lot of teachers out there who are quite glad about the situation <laughs> from some perspectives. But, you know, you'd have those displays up on the wall, yeah. wouldn't you? And, you know, you've got little, um, you know, I shouldn't say any names, should I? Um, you've got, you know, you've got one child here who's, you know, got their paragraph of writing. And then you've got someone over here who's got a whole page. And, and even as parents, you're comparing pairing as you're looking at that but but not parents because I mean I, I guess we just do it naturally but but children they are perceptive they they've got that awareness they, they do know they you you can call those um groups of different work you know when you're trying to differentiate you can call them the zebras the lions the tigers they know that the zebras spelling words are like you know, 15, and the lions have got five. So it's, it's you, you know, you, when you mention about when it impacts on their self-esteem, it, c it can almost impact quite early on. They pick up on those things. It can. Um, people pushing on reading skills is, is something that um, I've often seen. Mm. Um, and I always used to say to the children that I taught was, I can read Italian because it's phonetic. I haven't mm. got a clue what it means. Yeah. yeah. And a librarian I worked with uh, used to call it barking at print. So okay. the child who can decode, who can mm. read, but actually they're not taking any meaning from the print. Mm. Mm. Now that could be for a whole variety of reasons. It mm. could be that they, they've got a difficulty with, um, with language. It could be that they're using so much processing power to do that decoding that they haven't actually got any engine power left for the meaning. Mm. Or there's a problem with the, with the memory. They're not being able to retain what the sentence is saying or what the previous sentence said. There's so many different reasons. Um, but yeah, you're right. Right, children do know and they're very, very aware that, you know, 
that's the red group and they're the top group and we're mm. the green group and we're the bottom group. Mm. But what I would always say is actually it's better to give a child five spellings to do that they can get right, mm. that they can then retain, than to give them ten and they only get five out of ten. To mm. get five out of five, fantastic. To get four out of five, fantastic. Mm. You know, celebrate the, the wins. Mm. Yeah, don't. It's very easy um, as a parent who you care deeply for your child you want them to succeed it's very easy to focus on what we can't do not what they can do mm, mm. yeah when that nine out of ten test comes in oh so what was the wrong that, what yes. was the one that you missed then and then you yeah. go what you missed that one we spent ages on that one you got that one right when we were at home yes. <laughs> yeah things yeah. like that oh dear I think we've probably all been there um so w- what's the difference then between um having some difficulties so you've we've mentioned some of them reading fear of maths or or handwriting and then overcoming those difficulties or when those difficulties lead to an actual diagnosis so um every diagnosis um has what we call diagnostic criteria Mm. so you have to tick these boxes in order to be given the diagnosis so different different clinicians give different diagnoses so you can, you've got specialist assessors and educational psychologists who can do a, um, a diagnosis for dyslexia or dyscalculia. Um, if you've got a difficulty with motor function, so dyspraxia, mm-hmm. you need to see an occupational therapist or a physiotherapist. But then that would also need to be signed off by a medi- medical person, so a paediatrician or a GP, mm-hmm. because they'd need to say that the motor function difficulties that are apparent... Um, aren't due to an underlying medical condition um, there's all sorts of things we've got sensory processing disorder we've got, I mean, we've got so many labels now Rachel mm, it's unbelievable yeah you know uh, just so sensory processing disorder um, that's a difficulty in processing the information we're getting through our senses and that's not just the five senses we know it's about proprioception which is where our body is in space mm. and vestibular which is our balance and those our seven senses underpin our functioning Mm. You know what it's like if you've got that label that tickles and you just can't concentrate mm. on anything. Mm. It's driving you mad. <laughs> you have to take your shirt off and cut it out. And that gives you some example, uh, just a very simple example of, you know, a, a, if one of your senses isn't working properly or isn't, you know, being interpreted properly, how that can impact on your ability to think. Mm. So um, the I. The, the labels are very useful because they're often very empowering. They can be a way of accessing uh, further help or okay. education, health and care plans, things like that. Mm. But I would always say that um, we always talk very openly about the autistic spectrum. And I would say actually they're all spectrums. They're all, or they're all umbrella terms. Mm. Because if I say to you cat, the cat that you think of is going to be different to the cat that I think of. Mm. And in the same way, if we say dyslexic, you might think of a dyslexic person or a dyslexic person's profile that you're familiar with, and I might think of another. But actually, what matters is what is that individual's profile. So okay. it's so that you have the diagnostic criteria, which means that you meet the the you tick enough boxes to get the label. Mm. Yeah. But what is your profile within that? Um, ADHD is a is a very um, good example of a symptomatic diagnosis. You you tick six out of the as a child you tick six out of the nine criteria across mm-hmm. two different settings. You can get a diagnosis of ADHD. Okay. But what it doesn't often look at is why have you got those difficulties? Mm. Do you have a difficulty with your sensory system? 
is it a, a chaotic attachment difficulty because of various traumas that you've had in your life? Is it a difficulty with language that's causing the inattention? So there's lots, and, and those are just the few that jump into my head now. Mm. So it's about not just the, the, the label, but looking beyond it, looking at the individual. You know, at mm. the end of the day, we're all individuals. We've all got strengths and weaknesses. And um, it, so for me, it's about look, what are the difficulties that you have? How are they impacting on your life at this stage? Mm. so very again a simple example if you if you take a child who's got a motor function difficulty they find it difficulty to plan how to move okay that's going to affect them when they're little with how am i going to climb that climbing frame mm. i think i'll just stand and watch yeah or actually i'm going to go and play in the sandpit instead mm. um or no i don't like riding bikes yeah because there's an awful lot of going on when you're riding a bike mm. um playing football um, you've got to if you're going to kick a football you've got to balance on one leg you've got to lift the other leg back how far bring it forward with how much force in what direction and then you've got all the things the other players are doing there's a lot of processing mm. going on so do some of these things though would some of these things just correct themselves or is it just that children have maybe um learned how to cope and deal um, with them some of them some of them do correct themselves so some of them we learn how we learn strategies yeah and um you know it's very common for dyslexics to be late diagnosed often when it comes to the gcse curriculum cranks up because they're bright they've they've managed workarounds Mm. but it gets to the stage where their workarounds don't work so our brain is incredibly clever at finding workarounds but also we're very good at fitting in so mm. you may have a child who has got a difficulty processing language. Yeah. They don't want to they don't want to stand out. They don't want to be the naughty child. So the teacher tells them to do something. They haven't got a scooby doo what, what the teacher said, but they use all their other skills to look around at what the, their mates are doing. Right. And they keep up. Mm. They may be a little bit behind, there's that little lag, but they can mask it. Okay. Um, we we know that girls are fantastic at masking, mm. um, especially autism and um, attentional difficulties. Oh, why why are girls good at that? So good at that because we like to fit in. Oh, and okay. we like to um, we're good at, at picking up the clues, learning what to do because we don't want to stand out. Oh. So um, and and you know, but Ad with with autism. Um, we're getting much better at it now, but um, traditionally the, diag- the diagnostic process was very much based on how boys present. Okay. But it's different how it presents in girls then? Very much so, yes. Okay. So um, I've, I've got a million questions <laughs> in my head. One of the ones, though, that I did want to ask you that you'd, you'd mentioned about, you know, about these labels or if a parent then goes and gets the diagnosis and then they have this particular label and then obviously... Um, that's then helpful it, it might be they get extra time in their test or it might be what they can use a laptop in, in instead of you know those sorts of things um in terms of then the support that children get in school I mean I imagine that is one of the reasons because if we, let's take a typical classroom you've got 30 children in a class 
um, you know, you uh, you know, you can be an outstanding teacher, but it's a struggle to you, you've got to meet the needs of those thirty children in your class. So I guess with a diagnosis then, or a label, if you like, then there's some kind of plan in place, or the potential that that child can get extra support. Um, it varies very much from school to school, mm. from teacher to teacher. But what is often important is being is empowering the parents. Um, to be able to highlight to the teachers, uh, have a conversation with them. You know, we're all human beings. Just mm. talk to them about actually what the child needs. So it's about what do they need at this stage with an, with an understanding of what the demands that are coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, how do we help them build the skills they need to build in order to be able to succeed at the next stage? So... Um, as you say, schools have got have got special educational needs coordinators who are often very knowledgeable. Mm. They may not be knowledgeable across all of the things that impact on learning. Mm. Yeah, the class teacher's the same. And sometimes, you know, these clinical reports, especially from Ed Sykes, you can have you know pages and pages and pages of, of advice. Um, but what do you do now? What's mm. the first thing to do? And so that's sometimes where parents need help is going, OK, well, this is the help they need now. This is the first thing, which is about looking at the hierarchy of skills. You know, there's no point doing fractions and doing lots and lots of trained fractions. You know, we can all train a monkey um, if you don't actually understand fractions. Mm. And if you don't understand fractions, actually, do you understand division? Mm. If you don't understand division... Do you understand multiplication as being addition of sets of the same size? Mm. Because if you just go two, four, six, eight, mm. three, six, nine, twelve, mm. and you don't actually understand that, you don't have an understanding of multiplication. So mm. therefore, division is going to be harder. Mm. I mean, the curriculum has definitely come um, along in leaps and bounds from that perspective, hasn't oh, yes. it? Hugely. Understanding that maths, you know, you need those concrete objects to, um, you know, to help children really grasp those concepts. So, I mean, that, I mean, that has that has come a long way. But I'm thinking then, so with, so if a parent has this, what, so they can you can give them that direction then can you to because yeah. as you said it's all very well having a plan but it's then how is that plan then supported in the class environment which is where they are every day five days a week it's no point having that plan if, if some of those things aren't being integrated which then obviously you've got to have your school and your teacher on board haven't you absolutely yeah communication with school is key um, sometimes some children you talk about maths and the importance of concrete materials manipulatives that's so fundamental and some children need more of that than others Mm, mm. excellent so kate where can people um contact you or find out more so my website's the best place to go to and it's skylark-consulting.co.uk and um, if you go there you can schedule a free discovery call with me send me an email or pick up the phone and just talk to me Um, if I can't help you I will certainly point you in the right direction okay that's great and I've and if you if you go to River Radio on Facebook I've also put a link in uh, in our show's post today to um, Kate's website as well Um, but that's great so and and also I think um, I think probably one of the most reassuring things that hopefully our listeners have got out of this today is is actually the the point that you said it's actually not too late so they needn't worry if there are some things or again that whole balance of 
what's um you know what's down to their age or their stage of development or were they summer born or are they the oldest in the club you know all that kind of thing that actually even so years three year four and then upper primary they can still then you know for example if it's dyslexia you can still help with strategies or tactics or things that are going to help with their their learning because you you know said some children might have started on their GCSE study and not even be aware so all of the way through the school years and even into higher education yeah brilliant okay um well i've got lots more questions but um hopefully kate might come back onto the show if if you've got any questions and please email rachel at river dot radio um i know we've got a few people who've messaged to say they're listening which is great we're going to have a song break now and uh when we come back we're going to have um a quick chat about the um announcement that's taking place this afternoon so easing restrictions in schools so um, at the moment, groups of pupils have to self-isolate if one child tests positive. Could this be scrapped come September, come the autumn? So we'll be chatting about that. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some No sleep and I'm rolling by the river Trying to get back on my feet God damn, you woke up the ghost of me And now I need a minute to breathe Cause I'm losing my self-control That's right, I'm wearing my heart on my sleeve That don't mean that I want it to bleed But I'm walking down your road I'm rolling by the river, trying to get back on my feet. And you still cut me deep, and I'm on my knees. And I'm rolling by the river, trying to get back on my feet. You still cut me deep, I can't get no sleep. And I'm rolling by the river, trying to get back on my feet. And you still cut me deep, cause I'm on my knees. And I'm rolling by the river, trying to get back on my feet. comes and goes Was it something that I said That let you get inside your head That made you want me That made you cold Hold me on Feel it rolling by the river. Can you feel it? 
sorry about that. We were chatting. <laughs> we went into, into the next song. So that was River, Tom Gregory. Um, so I've got Kate King here. We've been talking... Um, all about uh, what Kate does as an educational consultant. We've, we've covered lots of information. If you've missed it, um, you can listen back because um, oh, we're on podcast now. You can go to Apple Podcast and you can search up School of Parenting. So that's, that's really exciting. But one of the things I wanted to um, just mention, there's not a lot happening in, in local school news because um, fortunately they're all winding down and getting ready for a really lovely long um, um, summer holiday break because don't they need it and I think the teachers definitely need it as well um, but Gavin Williamson the education secretary is going to be making um, a statement this afternoon easing restrictions in education settings so the COVID control system in England's schools at the moment is where groups of pre- pupils have to self-isolate if one test positive which may be scrapped come the autumn. So ministers are looking at asking secondary schools to introduce daily testing instead. Um, The latest figures show that in England, um, over 279,000 children were self-isolating, having potentially been in contact with a positive case in school. And I'd read another figure um, that said for every one or something, there were 20 that hadn't needed to, but of course they don't know this at the time. So that's been the procedure at the moment. Um, England's Children's Commissioner, Dame Rachel D'Souza, said there was an urgent need for children to get back to normal as lockdown restrictions have been a real trauma for many young people. This grouping of pupils into bubbles, often made up of their year group or form, which then has to quarantine when one child tests positive for COVID, should end as soon as possible. Now, I know as a parent, this I'm pretty certain it's probably happened in every school across the country. Um, you would know if it's not your child's year group, it's been another year group in your school that have then had to self-isolate for 10 days that's 10 days out of school and obviously particularly at this time of year as well when when the schools are trying to bring back some fun things for the children to do um that has been really sad where children have actually missed out missed out on this so schools minister nick gibb has said they've been looking at data from on-site testing pilot as an effective alternative to self-isolation And these trials are daily contact testing where if somebody has come into contact with somebody with COVID, instead of self-isolating, they take a test every day and if they are negative, they can go into schools. Now, Steve Chalk, who's the founder of a very large academies group, um, he said that 10% of his pupils, about 3,000 children, were currently off because off school because of covid adding it's an alarming situation and something needs to be done so we don't know exactly what's going to be announced but there is definitely recognition that um this is good that at least the change must be announced before the end of term giving schools a chance to because i think this happened round about christmas didn't it i mean i've lost track of the time where we what was it the last day of school or something these poor maybe it was last summer i don't know last day of school the poor head teachers found out that they had to put some kind of um, new system into place so at least they're trying to be a little bit proactive and possibly have this system what do you think Kate what do you think about this not having 10 days self-isolating and instead maybe having this daily 
testing system for our school children? Well, I'm I'm not a medical expert, but I mean it does it does sound very sensible, and it does sound sensible to have a system in place that will enable children to have ongoing education. This I think this stop start mm. is you know is disruptive for the children's learning. You know, you've been out of school, so you've missed this bit. We've got to catch that up. You know, it's building a hierarchy of learning, isn't it? Mm. Um, and and you know, nightmare for the teachers. Yeah, and you know, what's the impact on working parents too? Mm. So it's not just about the schools it's the impact onto the parents and their working life as well and the family the other children in the household so yeah I think anything that we can do that's going to ease us back to normal um it's it's got to be good yeah and I think that the, the recognition I suppose this having had this full term back in school um I think the recognition that even having that term back with this self-isolation, then so many children having to be at home, mm. missing chunks of learning again for 10 days. Um, yeah, and as you said, the, the disruption. I mean, as a teacher, how, would you, how do you even keep on top of... You know, I know even when you have one child offered, you, you want to make sure they've, they've covered that, they haven't missed that concept or something. I mean, 10 days, that's a, that's a maths concept. You know, you've missed. So it is. Um, so this is. It's just secondary school. There's been no comment made about primary school. I mean, what I would say is, I mean, daily testing. It's it, it's not great, is it? I mean, I have to do a couple of week for some for some of the volunteering that I'm involved in. It's not great, but if it means that you're not missing ten days and there's a solution, hopefully. Absolutely. Hopefully, Absolutely. And, and you know, I think it's it's also good for the children. You know, we. We need to. We know there's a mental health issue involved with this for the children. Mm, mm, absolutely. Okay. So, well, thank you so much, Kate King. That has whizzed by. Um, it's been lovely to talk to you um, from Skylark Specialist Education Consultancy. Did I say it right <laughs> that time? Um, tell us your website again. So it's skylark-consulting.co.uk. Brilliant. So go along, have a look at that. There's lots of information on there. As Kate mentioned earlier, there's d- discovery call. Is that yep. what you called it? Then you could. There's a link to my Calendly, and you can schedule a free discovery call. And Brilliant. We can talk over what's concerning you, and whether you need to do anything, or whether you just doing the right thing already excellent i will thank you so much for your time it's been great and next week on on the show uh, we'll be having a listen again because i because i am going to take a bit of time off um but we're going to be having a listen again to actually two great interviews um that well two interviews with two great people i'm not saying they were great interviews um lee duncan i spoke to a professional boxer and international champion um he's a motivational speaker who's very passionate about sharing his experiences of school and also claire pescott she's senior lecture lecturer at south wales university and she spoke to us about her research on social media in tweens between the ages of eight and twelve they were really interesting interviews so listen in to those next week so thank you again Kate let's finish off with a song um, before uh, we join the lovely SJ with Let's Do Lunch we've got Don't Be So Hard On Yourself so it's one for all you parents out there Jess Glynn wounds heal when tears dry and cracks they don't show so don't be so hard on yourself now let's go back to simplicity I feel like I've been missing me but not who I'm supposed to be
on top of the world right where I wanna be So how can this dark cloud be raining over me? But hearts break and hell's a place that everyone knows So don't be so hard on yourself, no 